0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading
1: plan. We also have the plan available on our website, grove.church. So jump on on our website, Uh, bad sentence, I'm sorry, but go to the website, download the PDF, read along with us, it's going to be a great month. Uh, and if you have questions as you're listening and reading along with us, we would love to take time as much as we can at the end of every podcast episode uh, to answer those questions. And so there's two ways that you can send those podcast questions to us. The first one is via email, and that email address is info at Send us a message there. Make sure the subject line says, a po- uh, let's read the Bible podcast question, uh, or you can jump on the Facebook. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. We'd love for you to direct message those questions to us there. Uh, we'll take time as much as we can.
0: Boom. All right. Well, today we've we've titled our episode "Yahweh Delivers His People," and we'll be talking about the very beginning of Exodus. And you might be thinking to yourself, "But Evan, we read Exodus last week, or I guess actually it's yesterday." So here's the deal. Yeah, I just, sorry. sorry, I didn't want to do, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to introduce Exodus last, in last week's podcast. Especially when so we're, we're going to spend a lot of time in it moving forward. Exactly. So we fudged it a little bit. So we're starting Exodus we just here. just like, and in case you're thinking to yourself, well, obviously they would never do that again. We're not talking about Galatians this week. <laughs> we're talking about it next <laughs> Spoiler. week. Spoiler. So uh, we're not going to do that if it's like in the middle of the week, but when it's like a Saturday or something, I'm like, eh, we can, you know, we yeah. can postpone it a week. So... Uh, as far as resources go today, though, it's kind of you know just our standard Bibles that we like to use, but also if you want to deep dive into these, I shouldn't say deep dive because it's a survey book, but if you want to learn more <laughs> about the books of the Bible, uh, we do recommend The Essence of the Old Testament, a survey by Ed Hinson, which is kind of our go-to, the The two essence books are kind of our go-to survey books. So if you like to, if you want to know more, there you go. All right. So Exodus, let's get started. It's the second book of the Pentateuch, which again is the first five books of the Bible. Um, and as with the rest of those five five books, it's thought to be written by Moses. So it's pretty, you know, you can kind of debate it back and forth, but I don't really see any reason to, I don't see any reason to doubt it. So, You'd be wasting your time if you tried to debate it back and forth. Yeah. Saying. One of those things. So we're going to hold, it's written by Moses and the story jumps ahead a few generations after Joseph. Uh, so it's kind of funny because Genesis ends and it's like, and Joseph was buried then there arose in Egypt a Pharaoh who did such and such. And that that little, that sentence jump is a, is a jump of uh, quite some time. So we don't know exactly how long it is, but it's a it's a sizable chunk of time. It's enough for the tribes of Israel to go from being, you know, 12 brothers with their kids and kind of an extended family into being an actual nation. Uh, and so, and it says specifically that a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. And so for a while, the whole... The whole Jacob moving his family down to Egypt thing was working out. So the Pharaoh, obviously the Pharaoh who was Pharaoh when the famine happened, very much appreciated Joseph. And so what we can say by this is not, what we can see by um, this figure of speech is not like it's the first Pharaoh who didn't know who Joseph was, but rather it's the first Pharaoh who didn't really appreciate what Joseph did, I suppose, is another way to put it. Yeah, it's a better
1: way to understand that statement.
0: Yeah. Obviously the Pharaoh who was king during the famine and his son and probably his son and son after that would all understand it. But then you start getting down the line all of a sense like that. Joseph, who cares? Who are these, these Israelites? Ugh, gross. Let's
1: that's make ex- them slaves. That's exactly
0: the translation and what it means. That's exactly what,
1: ugh, gross. Ugh,
0: disgusting. <laughs> so anyways, there you go. Uh, the date of the Exodus is actually pretty debated. So there's two main camps and there's the early date and the late date. So the early date is about 1446 BC. And the late date is twelve ninety. Uh, the early date holds that Amenhotep II was the pharaoh that of during the Exodus, and then uh, the late date holds that Ramses II was the pharaoh of the Exodus. So, if you've watched Prince of Egypt. They very clearly are new date people or late date people <laughs> because they it's Ramses and then Seti's his father. Um, I don't know. I haven't watched the Ten Commandments. So I don't know who the Pharaoh is in that movie or if they even name
1: the Pharaoh. I don't he might know. just be the Pharaoh. All right. Well, you know. What I'm else. just gonna say, well done saying the names. Like the first name, well done. Amenhotep. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah that guy. Of... just said it like you didn't. You you knew what it was. I have. Well,
0: I've looked. I've looked into this before. the The date of the Exodus has been of interest to me for a little bit. So this isn't.
1: Yeah, you know, this shouldn't surprise you at all. You, you didn't see my face there, but I kind of was just what? Like, yeah, that's that interesting. Was, that's the best way I can describe that face.
0: But anyway, uh, the the arguments for a late date they're they're fairly weak overall, um, and they require you to not take any of the dates listed in the Bible literally. So. I, I mean,
1: I don't know. I think we know where Evan lands.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm an early date guy. Like the argument for the late date is like, hey, you know, we don't have a lot of evidence that Israel was around in this period of time. But like archaeological evidence is, is by its very nature, very scarce. Like we didn't know the Hittites. We didn't have any confirmation that the Hittites existed until less than 100 years ago. So it's just one of those things where... As time goes on, evidence can be found. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, I guess, is another way to put it. So
1: there you go. You just lost me. I'm just kidding.
0: Uh, Moving on. Exodus divides, just like Genesis, pretty evenly into two halves, except Exodus is much more actually almost the halfway point of the book. So not quite. The second half is a little bit longer, but it's close. Uh, and the first half of it it kind of deals with the actual the actual Exodus, Yahweh rescuing his people from Egypt. And the second half is more about the covenant, and yeah. that's what we're gonna. Let me tell you, listeners, we're gonna be spending a lot of time in the covenant these
1: next few months. So yeah, not not today in the podcast, but over the next couple months in our reading plan. Just wait till we hit Leviticus. Game on! All right. Well. Just to
0: kind of summarize what happens in Exodus, and this is going to be, you know, I'm going to skip over some things because there's, there's a lot that happens and we're going to kind of have to go at 30,000 feet. But uh, chapter one starts off by telling us how the situation has changed. So the 12 sons of Jacob have all died and we're now dealing with their descendants in the following generations. We're told that a new Pharaoh rises up who did not know Joseph and enslaved all of the people of Israel, eventually culminating with the ordered execution of Hebrew male children. So he says, this nation is getting really powerful. We need to put a stop to this. So he doesn't want to execute all the men because you know, they're a slave workforce, but he wants to basically kneecap out a generation so that they can't actually rise up. Uh, Moses is born to Levite parents, which means they're descendants of Levi, who's one of the sons of Jacob. And that tribe is going to be, you know, that tribe's pretty important of the tribes, you know, it's like Judah, Levi and Benjamin are probably the ones that actually factor in a lot. And then the, the rest of them are just like in a story or two and that's it. So I shouldn't say that there's probably a tribe I'm not thinking of, but anyway, uh, Anyway, sorry, that was a total <laughs> sidetrack. Uh, after they could no longer hide him. So remember, there's an order out to kill all of the Hebrew infants. Uh, his parents put him in a basket, specifically his mother, and then they put it in the Nile River and they let it float down because they're just hoping that God in his mercy would spare their child. We skip past this a lot. Uh, this is one of those parts of scripture that we've read it so much that we kind of don't think about the just the sheer pain of that moment of yeah, knowing right. that the best chance for your child to survive is to put them in a river full of crocodiles. <laughs> like it's, and that's not a joke. Like the Nile River is notoriously full of crocodiles. It's just one of those things where, um, yeah, it's just crazy. And it's it's intensely sad that this is the choice that, these, that this mother's having to make. Um, but God is merciful and Moses is found by Pharaoh's daughter, who then adopts him as his as her own child, and in an additional mercy, uh, Moses' mother is actually his nurse when he's a baby. So they go out and they find his mother, um, and they bring her in, and he's she's the one who gets to nurse her. N- she gets to nurse her own baby and actually like kind of help raise him a little bit in the beginning. So very cool moment for that. Uh, and this is where if you've watched movies, the story is really different from the way they make it out to be. Like Moses is fully aware that he's a Hebrew. Like in Prince yeah. of Egypt, he's like, "What." this
1: is crazy. Like, no. Like yeah, big Moses, dramatic, big dramatic upheaval and his whole world in para, our perspective has been shattered. Right. Um, no, he knows.
0: Yeah, it's not a secret. So, he, and it says one day he goes out uh, and he's just visiting with some of his people and he's looking, he wants to see their situation. He's like, you know, I have it pretty good here, but obviously like most of my people are enslaved. Um, and then he murders an Egyptian slave master in anger. And here's another thing. uh, Speaking of differentiating from movies, um, this isn't like a, hey, cut it out. And then they kind of struggle and then Moses accidentally kills him. Like it says specifically that Moses waited till no one else was around and then killed him. So this is not like, um, I'm trying, this is first degree murder. This is premeditated. Yeah, this is not like he's angry and accidentally kills a guy. Um, And so he flees to the land of Midian. Which I didn't know is actually pretty far away when I was looking it up. I always kind of assumed... So, if listener, if you have a mental map of Egypt for a second, you know, Red Sea, you cross it. There's the Sinai Peninsula, which is the big triangle. Um, Midian is on the other side of the Sinai Peninsula. So, it's not like Moses crossed over and went to that big triangle. He went on the other side of the triangle in modern-day Saudi Arabia. So, maybe only I find that interesting, but it's actually... Well, I'm actually,
1: just, just going to say like... I i'd be really curious and this would be almost worth me asking you to comment on whatever area or leave a review how many you actually can picture like egypt in your mind when evan just said that because i was like pfft. Use something more relevant. We live in Marysville, Washington, and it's not like he went to Lake Stevens. Yeah, that's he true. went across the mountains on the other side to Eastern Washington. Like, um, fine if you have to do it that way. It just it so that it's just funny. So I, I, feel, I says, feel like the Sinai okay, Peninsula. No, no, like take pretty, a picture of, of Egypt. So, it's pretty iconic. Anyways, this is how Evan and I are. We just love each other, but it's just funny. We. We we work well together. <laughs>
0: so Moses, anyway, all that to say, Moses spends some time in the land of Midian. He's a shepherd uh, for his father-in-law, which again, you know, sp- like last week we talked about how it's a theme in the Bible that people who are used by God uh, use dreams or are very capable of dreams. Yeah. You know, Moses is a shepherd and people who are used by God are very often shepherds. We got a comment last week, by the way, uh, uh, talking about how... Um, it's funny how Joseph is the one who's more, more, who's more known for dreams, but Daniel did
1: it way better because he didn't have to hear the dream first. I was like, that's an excellent point. The <laughs> so. funny thing is I actually thought that when, cause I, I get too confused sometimes just cause they both interpreted dreams. But anyways, I was like, Oh wait, Daniel didn't have to know the interpretation, but Maybe. part of it, just to be honest with you, the King was going to threaten him for his life. He says, I'm not telling you. You tell me what the dream was and its interpretation, or I'll kill you. True. If Pharaoh did that, I mean, Joseph God would have w- done the same thing. Yeah, God would have let Joseph know.
0: But anyway, there, there you go. Food for thought. So after he's been a shepherd for a long time, he's eventually called by God. And this is the whole burning bush narrative. Mm-hmm. Again, we're skipping over a lot. Uh, but we get this passage where, I, I don't know, I just think, I think it's really powerful. And this is the first time that God actually reveals the name that he wants to yeah. be known by. Who he is. This is who I am. So it says, and this is Exodus 3, starting in verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Pause for a second. That in and of itself is an incredible statement. It's saying that God knows the sufferings of his people and he listens when we cry out. It goes on, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout the generations. And so the Hebrew term for this is Yahweh. That's where we get that from. And so this is the, the name of God that's inscribed. It's, it's really cool. I, I love that passage. Um, And there's uh, I, of all the parts of Exodus, and there's, a, there's, Exodus is really cool. There's a lot of stuff that happens in Exodus. The conversation between Moses and God is probably my favorite. It's just, there's so many layers to what's going on there. Um, I love that his constant reminder to Moses is that I will be with you. Like when Moses is voicing his insecurities, his God's point is not like, hey, you know, hey, buddy, like, you're fine. Don't worry about it. And like, <laughs> so, you know, listen, I will be with you. Like, yeah. it's fine. Um, so... All this happens, Moses, and I'm going to read a little bit more from that exchange, but Moses isn't confident. Uh, He talks about how he's just not, well, here, I'll read it. So this is chapter four, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, "'Who has made man's mouth? "'Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? "'Is it not I, the Lord? "'Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth "'and teach you what you shall speak.' "'But he said, O Lord, please send someone else.' "'And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses.'" Don't skip past that statement. Uh, And he said this, "'Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? "'I know that he can speak well. "'Behold, he is coming out to meet you, "'and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart.'" You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So Moses is—he's very reluctant. This is not a confident man, um, and it says that like God's actually angry. Yeah, and I I get, I, I think it's interesting because Moses says. I'm not eloquent. I don't know if I can do this. And God straight up tells him, like, who are you talking to? Like, who do you think made you? Like, I I made you. I know exactly who you are. And I'm calling you to this. Now go do it. And then Moses is still like, please someone else. And then at that point is when it says God is actually angry. So when God kind of, not fully reveals, but when he kind of like tells him like, Like I am God, I am the creator of the universe. And Moses still says, no, that's where you see like God kind of slip into like, not slip in, but God is actually righteously angry with Moses for that moment. And then we get this moment where Aaron and Moses are together on it. So, and that's your namesake. Hey, there you go. First, first high priest of
1: the Israelites. No, I would even just say, man, like, I, I think this is probably one of the most challenging state or passages, especially early on in scripture, but just that carries so much weight for us even today because i i mean i can't i can't count how many times that i i've i've responded to moments where i really felt like god was saying something to me like moses uh yeah not not me god yeah. that's someone else and and there is this you see god's anger and and he wrestled. Moses is wrestling with the very same things I think we wrestle with today. Where it's is God enough? Do we really trust that God's enough for me? And we don't look at who He is; we look at who we are, what we're capable of, how we're, you know, what our insecurities or our weaknesses are. And and God is frustrated because it's it's. I think even, He even I think He's frustrated today too with so many of us when our response oftentimes is, God, I'm not good enough. And God, I think God's response would be similar to Moses. Who created you? Right. who called you? who who's the one that's gonna empower you? Who f- sent the Holy Spirit to you? Like there's just so many layers to this conversation I think is important. And I do think this is a passage that's skipped over that's minimized, that's missed very, very often. Um, and I think it's important to be totally practical and applicable to d- to today's world um, is if you're listening to this is to stop running or stop giving excuses why you can't do what God's called you to because his anger, is is righteous and his anger is warranted. And so it's important. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying God's angry at you, please don't hear that. But when we, when we reject his call, I think there's a very big challenge there. No,
0: absolutely. And I think there's this theme of God kind of making himself known or I suppose like revealing himself is continued through Exodus. Yeah. And I, I love, so God unleashes the 10 plagues. So obviously there's a lot we're skipping between burning bush and that moment, but the 10 plagues hit Egypt and it's basically used as this, Um, punishment to Pharaoh and his people for not letting the Israelites go like God had commanded. And we don't have time to connect all of these, but each of the 10 plagues is showing Yahweh's
1: dominance over one of the gods of the Egyptian pantheon. Which I almost wish that there was time to spend time working through that. Not right now, obviously because we're trying to give an overview, but maybe mm -hmm. sometime this month, if we can find a window, I think it could be worth really kind of hitting on that just because I, I don't remember last time I dug through it. Um, and I don't know how many times we've actually dug through it on the podcast, but yeah, it's been a
0: while. That's Total for sure. Um The twos who remember, though, the last two plagues are day turning into night and uh, the death of the firstborn. And that's specifically talking about God, the God Ra. And then Osiris, who are kind of two of the major gods in the Egyptian pantheon. So he saves the last two for kind of the, the big two, I suppose you could say. Um, after this, after all the plagues, Pharaoh finally relents. He lets the people of Israel go. Uh, the Passover takes place, which is, I should say, the Passover takes place before Pharaoh actually relents. So when the angel of death comes and kills all of the firstborn, the people of Israel would spread blood above their doorposts. And then they would be saved from it. And then also they were told, make bread, you don't have time to leaven it. So essentially just, it's kind of like a flat, bread cracker almost is what they would make. Yeah. And then that's what they packed with them because they had to be ready to go. Um and so to this day, Passover is still celebrated. And it's one of those, it's one of those holidays that I wish we celebrated more as Christians as well. Cause I, I don't know. I like it. I, th- I think it's a good idea. I so I disagree. Oh, whatever. But that's uh, just me. Not that it has to be a big thing, but I feel like we don't acknowledge it at all, which is kind of a cool moment. But anyway, that and Yom Kippur are still like the two holiest days in the Jewish holidays. So if you have Jewish friends, they definitely know when those two days are, and it's a a big deal. Uh, Anyways, moving on. The people of Israel leave Egypt and after after Pharaoh finally relents and they're led by pillars of fire and smoke, which is pretty cool, those are from God. Uh, The Egyptian army comes to kill all of the people and then Yahweh parts the Red Sea for his people to escape, which again, something we kind of just gloss over because we've heard it so many times. Just imagine for a second, when you read that passage, put yourself into the mind of an Israelite who's watching this happen before your eyes. And then think about uh, what an incredible demonstration of God's power this is, and also how they immediately (laughs) just fail within like a few, I think it's a few weeks of this happening. So there you go. Maybe it's a few months. Uh, all throughout the story, we see God's constant provision for his people in chapter 16, we see manna fall from heaven, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. They are in the middle of the desert. They don't have any way to get food. So bread just miraculously falls from heaven in chapter 17, water is provided from a stone, which is really great. Uh, and then our readings end with Moses, uh, meeting with Yahweh at the summit of Mount Sinai. And then the 10 commandments are given there. And we'll see... Um, that ends it for you this know, week. We'll see what happens next week. <laughs> we'll see oh. how we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Let's, spoiler, it doesn't go well. Oh, man. But before we jump
1: into our Psalms, we do have a review to read. Yeah. So we want to take a moment uh, in the middle of our podcast and say thank you for those of you who have given us reviews, uh, whether it's a five-star or you've even left an actual written review. We love and appreciate each of you. Uh, and I want to continue to encourage you to do that. Um, if you're listening on Spotify, I uh, would we'll love for you to continue giving us a rating because once we get to a certain threshold, then they'll actually open up the ability to comment and leave a, a written review too. So would love for you to do that. Uh, but I want to read this out to our friend, Kathy. Uh, thank you for leaving this review, Kathy. We appreciate you. But it says this, it says, I love listening to Aaron and Evan each week. I think that's the first time my name was first, by the way. Uh, but thank hey, you, Kathy. You're my favorite. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it says, love listening to them each week as we go through the Bible reading plan together. Every single time I learn something new. Thank you for bringing your personalities and your expertise each week to help me dig a little deeper into the reading plan. Uh, she said, even though I know spotify should let me rate you now spotify listen up uh it won't let us write reviews so uh thank you kathy for doing that uh evan you bring the expertise i bring the personality and we have a good time so uh no i'm just kidding but yeah i think we both have just loads of personality yes we do it's a lot of fun we're just a couple of we're a couple of cutie pies I'm just going to continue on now. So, yes, so we'd love for you to leave a review. Again, it's not for our own egos or for our own accolades, but it really does help the algorithms uh, and help get the the podcast out in front of people so we can continue growing the community that reads the Bible and discusses the Bible together. So uh, thanks for those who have left one. We'd love for you to continue to do so. Uh, I'm going to shift this into highlighting. uh, Even as Evan said earlier, we're going to jump into Galatians this week uh, in our reading plan, but we're not going to jump into the podcast this week. We'll actually take the entirety of Galatians next week. Uh, but we are going to we are hitting a few other Psalms again this week. And so uh, I'm just going to take a few moments and give us kind of a quick overview of them. Uh, and I will say this uh, right out the gate. Uh, I think if if you are struggling to figure out how to pray or what prayer should look like, read the book of Psalms, um, read through these Psalms and really kind of process through them, because I think this is what will help us develop a prayer life as followers of Jesus. Uh, But there's four Psalms we're gonna read this week. One is chapter 61, one is chapter 67, uh, chapter 77, and then chapter 114, which chapter 114 I'll read through uh, and highlight here for a moment. But I just wanna kinda give us a very quick overview of these Psalms. Uh, Psalm 61 is actually a Psalm of David, of King David. Uh, And it's actually, it's interesting because it's it's an individual lament is how it is written. That send uh, serves as like a general quest for God's help in times of trouble, but doesn't necessarily hinge on the individual uh, needing help. So it's this weird kind of write-up with David, where he's writing the psalm uh, and he's lamenting, but he's because he's in essence it ties the well-being of the king to the well-being of the people.
0: Like it's a it's a lament not for a single person's struggles, but for the struggles of a nation. Yeah, so it's David's lament. He's like, crying out like an Exodus.
1: It all comes full circle. <laughs> no, maybe
0: <laughs> How the, yes. the people uh, cry like, out
1: like, okay. So we kind of be like, like Exodus. No, <sighs> I was kidding. Um, But so that's what it is. So in essence, David is lamenting uh, to his God on behalf of his people, uh, to God, to Yahweh on behalf of his people. Uh, And he understands the well-being of the king is also is tied directly to the well-being of of God's people Uh, and then looks as looks forward in this psalm. You'll see him look forward to proper acts of worship um, as the response to God showing himself faithful. Uh, So that's Psalm 61. Psalm 67 gives you uh, this. It's almost it's a Thanksgiving psalm for a fruitful harvest. Um. It's in essence a prayer that God will bless his people so that the rest of the world may come to know God. Uh and so it's it's this picture of God's provision and thanking God for his provision uh and something the community of people of God's people would would recite together and learn together. Psalm uh, so 77, which is the third one we'll hit this week, um, is also a community lament. Uh, it's not also, sorry, this is a community lament where the entire community would be lamenting. Uh, in essence, the idea of in the time where God's people were in a low quote unquote condition, in essence, they had circumstances that had positioned them to be uh, not impoverished monetarily, but but uh, positionally, they were just of low condition. I don't know of another way to really explain it. Uh, but it's the interesting thing about it is their low condition was based upon their uh, disobedience or rebellion and God's – anger. we see this because in the in the the psalm itself, God's anger is what uh, is revealed. And then it just makes – and there's no clarity in the psalm, but it's it then brings the question for me, well, what <laughs> what provoked God's anger? Um, and I can reflect back in my own life and like, yeah, there's some things I did uh, that probably God <laughs> hasn't been happy with. So, uh, But you see the community crying out to God. Um, they're asking for him to – to, to relief, uh, for relief. They're, they're working and praying uh, together because their condition is brought on by themselves and God's uh, anger is being brought uh, provoked by their disobedience. And then finally, we're going to read Psalm 114. Um, and I just thought this was a fun Psalm to read. And so I'm going to read it. Uh, it says this, when Israel came out, to e- out of Egypt. Hey, Exodus. Like Exodus. Whoa. Um, the house of Jacob uh, from a people who spoke a foreign language Judah became a sanctuary, Israel, his dominion. The sea looked and fled and the Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it see you, that you fled, Jordan that you turned back? Mountains that you skipped like rams, hills like lambs. Tremble earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool and the flint into a spring. You see some of the things Evan already alluded to in the book of Exodus. But there's also things that haven't been touched or we haven't seen yet. Uh, but it just parallels the journey out of Egypt in the Exodus. And it's the celebration uh, that God they, that they are God's people. And they're part of his plan to uh, redeem the earth, to uh, bring salvation to all, all mankind. Uh, and it's interesting because there's a celebration, but it's also a really significant thing because it says it shows that all of nature obeys God and even trembles. Yet he chose Israel to be his own and he exerts their power on his behalf. The power that, that God is showing is not just simple displays of power. It's actually on behalf of God's people. Um, you see, when it talks about the, uh, the the rock turned into a pool, this refers to the, the rock being struck and water gushes out so they can drink because they're they're parched. Their their thirst needs to be quenched. And flint into a spring. There was another moment uh, where God provided water. So uh, you just see it parallel. So I actually think it's going to be kind of fun as you read through Psalm 114 you'll kind of be recapped for some of Exodus that you, we will have read this week. And so, uh, but those are the four Psalms we're going to hit today. Again, it's just a fun way to learn, to develop and grow in our prayer lives. So we laments, celebratory Psalms, uh, community laments, big things that I think are are just fun ways to, to see. And you're going to see um, some overlap as we read through the Psalms this week for sure. So, but those are the Psalms this week. All right. Well, we got a topical
0: question this week. And I guess, well, I mean, I don't know. I we can stretch it into being topical, I guess is the way to go, but I, th- I think it does fit really well. Uh, our dear listener writes in and says, Jesus tells his disciples that if they had faith the size of a tiny mustard seed, then they could get a mulberry bush to throw itself into the sea, like in Luke 17, or mountains, like Matthew 17. My literal scientific brain, aka cynical, points out the impossibility of this, which I appreciate is kind of the point. So... How do I go from cynicism of understanding the physical world to be willing to accept the impossible of the spiritual world? I have faith in our salvation and our place in eternity, but the huge visual miracles thing, like a mountain moving or someone being healed from a debilitating disease or disability right before my eyes because I prayed in the name of Jesus seems unfathomable. I know this makes me normal, but boy, do I wish Jesus had gone with something bigger than a mustard seed for his
1: example. Okay. (laughs) Yes, I agree.
0: No, I think this is this is a really important tension to kind of wrestle yeah. through as Christians. Um and so here's what I first of all, let me start with two really good book recommendations. Do it. Uh they're both called Miracles. And then one is written Not by, to
1: confuse you at all.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you know it helps. Uh but one is by C. S. Lewis and the other one is by Eric Metaxas. Um both of them I would I would highly recommend if you're kind of thinking through this sort of thing. Um So with miracles, there's kind of a two-pronged answer to this, I suppose. Um, Number one, there is a question as to whether or not you believe that miracles still happen today. Um, Now, me and Aaron both land very much in the camp of they do. No, Um, they don't. No, No, no. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, But I mean, there is, there is, yeah, I don't know. It's it's an open-handed issue and I can see how uh, in good faith Christians can land on the other camp. But I, I do think that God still intervenes today in the lives of his people, specifically with physical miracles as well. So the second part of it is, I think it's the question of why and how does God move? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times what we, we kind of arrogantly, we kind of arrogantly want God to do something just for us, if that makes sense. And we kind of treat God as if he's, A vending machine or a magic word, because I think, and I think you can kind of have the pendulum swing one way or the other. Because I've heard um, also people talk about like, well, if you claim it in the name of Jesus and you have faith, it's going to happen. It's not true. (laughs) Like, like God, God's will is a thing, and God's will is independent of our will. And so, I I do think the proper stance of Christians is not to do this thing where we just kind of like. Have these magic words that we say, and then we are going to bend the Holy Spirit to our will. I think that our proper posture as Christians is to earnestly pray uh for miracle miracles, desiring miracles, but knowing also that God's will is independent of that and sometimes he will say yes and sometimes he will say no um and it's It's come particularly home, I think with covid and because there's been you know as, as pastors we just get we get all of the struggles of the church, right? Like the people are writing in and we're praying and we're meeting with families and all those different things. And it's been really disheartening the last few years. Um, and I was talking with my wife about this the other week, but like, like it sucks when you pray for someone and they die yeah. and it, and it's happened. It's happened more these last few years than, uh, than, than normal. Um, and I, I personally, I was, I was really discouraged um, when it was like, it was like three or four in a row where it was just back to back to back. And I was like, I don't even understand why I'm doing this anymore. Um, but then you see miraculous ones as well. You see people who make a turnaround, you see in instances where, you know, doctors can't explain it, but they, you know, they gave them a, a certain percentage chance to live and all of a sudden they're turning it around. And I think it's, it's moments like those that can kind of help rebuild faith, but I also think the important thing is to be able to step back and say, you know God I, I want you to perform a miracle in this situation I'm earnestly praying that you would but more than anything else what I want is for your will to be done whatever you would have happen here, I want you to have it happen and I think that it, I don't know that's kind of a sidetrack from what the question actually is yeah because obviously the question is talking about like like the big showy things um but that's kind of where I land. As far as the big showy things, here's my, my really simple stance that I take on it. Cause it, the, even the phrase was like, I know this is impossible. Um, if you believe that there is an all powerful creator God who exists outside of time and space, who created the universe and everything inside of it, nothing is a stretch. And it's why I always get frustrated with like the Noah's Ark people. I don't know. That's like a favorite one for people to pick on, but it's like, well, how can you believe like a Noah's Ark? Like, dude, like if you believe that there is a God who exists outside of space and time and created everything, like the the Noah's Ark thing is not a stretch, like the flooding the earth and how he would make that happen. Look, I don't know, but that's like, that's the least, um, that's the least important thing for me as far as like, well, can I believe this or can I not believe it? I think there's, there's one um, and it's not a leap of faith because I do think there's actual, we can't get into all of it today, but there's real um, scientific evidence and there's also philosophical paths into seeing, well, how could God be who he is? But once you've locked into that, I think it's pretty easy to believe anything else yeah. because obviously God, it's God's creation. He can do what he will with it.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, I would even say like, there's a couple of things right out the gate that I would say um, the first is uh, all of creation is a, is, is a miracle. Um, and, and when you're, cause I'm looking at the question, right. And sometimes I have, I have a tendency to hyper-focus on the question. Um, but how do I go from cynicism of, of understanding the physical world to be willing to accept the impossible of the spiritual world? The creation account is a miracle. Um, the, the way that the earth is positioned, that's, that's not just by chance. I think they're, it's recognizing the, the supernatural in what we have come to understand through knowledge and uh and i would even say wisdom um i think there are certain things that we um to move from this journey of cynicism where my my scientific brain says this is impossible it's it is it, it it's it's not impossible because it's it's how it's, it's current it's, it's what's happening and so that I, one of the things i would say is, is just to stop it at times and i mean when he says like throw the mulberry bush into the sea or move the mountains um, part of that is like an extreme example to stir up the faith of his followers um, he's not saying hey walk around and tell these mulberry bushes to be thrown into the sea he's not saying hey look at that mountain say cast in the sea what he's saying is all you need is faith to trust that there's a god even as you were saying evan that is outside of time and space and has created everything for something to happen and it, it is possible to happen um, I do think the other side of the conversation is, and it goes, does go back to that, oftentimes we pray for miracles or expect miracles because there's an inkling of selfishness or there's an inkling of do it for me or do it so that way these people won't have to suffer. Um, and and Christ, Christ's death and resurrection has redeemed humanity, has brought us to a point, not just of of the right now, this side of eternity, but has brought us to a perfect state in eternity. And while we may not experience the whole health and restoration and healing that we sometimes pray for, recognizing that it's already ours in eternity, allows us then to have hope for eternity um, and then cause and takes the pressure off for healing to happen, hap, have to happen now. Um, and it allows us to to really kind of, I mean, hopefully reshift our priority and our focus to being on the God who provides and gives the miracle uh, because at the end of the day, it's his glory. If God does a miracle on this side of eternity, uh, then we get to rejoice and celebrate in that. And the hope is that his name would be lifted up and celebrated and it would raise our faith to trust that he could do the same thing uh, that he's done there. Uh, but if we don't have it, our hope exists in eternity. Uh, and so I think that there's the, the I mean, there's points to the story, but the idea of a mustard seed is, is not the qua the quantity. It's the quality, because the, 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 so, the mustard seed, one little seed produces a large bush. That's part of Jesus's point. Mm-hmm. It's the quality of our faith. With as much faith as I can muster. And I think even in the New Testament, you see different moments where um, it, it says, with as much faith as you have, operate in whatever gift you have or pray with as much faith it's it's used the gifts that you have to the measure you have them which means they can continue to increase and stuff like that so i kind of went all over the place but i do think that there is this layer of i do believe very simply miracles still exist today and we yep. we've had testimonies of them in our church where brain scans have shown questionable white matter and then a week later after prayer and having to actually have a deep dive uh scan it shows it's gone or it shows that it's actually not white matter, but there's actually definitive picture, uh, tumor being gone uh, after another scan. Like there's, we've just seen uh, someone who was staring death in the face because of COVID was able to come home mm-hmm. uh, miraculously. So, um, so it's hard to, I, I can't say that miracles don't exist, but it's also, it's, 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 it's hard to temper expectations because God doesn't always answer prayers. Um, and at the end of the day, he knows eternity. Is where we belong. Um, And so we have to trust his sovereignty in the midst of that. So, yeah, I kind of said a lot, but it's, it's, this is something that is absolutely worth asking and wrestling through because as Christians today, our hope is not just in eternity, it's also in present day.
0: Uh, The last thing I'm going to say could be you're right, we have been, we've been going all over the place on this question, but hopefully it's been, hopefully it's it's a very, it's a very big question. My, my mind leapt to Psalm 37 and there's a very famous verse that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think sometimes the way that we look at that is if we love God, then he'll give us whatever we want. Um, and what it's actually saying is that when we take delight in who God is, by our, our, our desires will actually change to yep. be what God wants. And so I think that's the important thing is sometimes we have this idea that we can do X and then God owes us Y. Um, when in reality, what scripture is saying is like, constantly, constantly try and align our perspective with God's trying to, desi- try to desire the things that God desires. And if we delight ourselves in God, and if we have a relationship with God, then our desires will line up with his desires and we'll start to see that's what's going to start happening. Yep. Um, it's not that there won't be pain, that there won't be suffering, but that we'll be able to see um, how God uses pain and suffering for something even more beautiful. So, I don't know. That's the idea. Well said. Hopefully, hopefully that hopefully that helped. <laughs> we kind of, yeah, we kind of jumped all over the place, but hopefully you enjoyed it. We'll see how it goes. But with that being said. Uh, that wraps it up. So that's, that's it for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of The Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of The Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website, grove.church. And if this podcast has been a financial, time if this podcast <laughs> has been a blessing to you and you'd like to financially contribute to the ministry that The Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper
1: right-hand corner. Yeah. Have a great day.